Welcome to Ask Peggy About Your Finances, because prosperity is so much more than money. Brought to you by writer, speaker, and certified financial planner, Peggy Doviak. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Hello and welcome to the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. My name is Peggy Doviak and I am a certified financial planner practitioner. This is a show for you. This is a show to help you understand the stock market better, to keep up with legislation that could impact your money. In the Plan Your Prosperity section, we look at different financial planning topics in depth. And then finally, in the Ask Peggy section of the show, the last section, that's your opportunity to ask me questions. So I'd really like to encourage you to go to my website, askpeggy.com, and then you can go to the contact page and you can type in a question. Then I'll reach out to you, probably ask you a couple more questions, and then we'll create an answer that can be educational on the air and useful for everyone. So I've got a lot of things to cover today, so let's get started with the Bulls and Bears Market and Economic Update. This is for the week ending 3-29-2019. And this is actually the end of the calendar quarter. We're going to talk more about the quarterly data next week. But today, what you should know is that the markets went back up. We have the Dow Jones Industrial Average going up 1.67%. The S&P 500 went up 1.2%. The NASDAQ went up 1.13%. Gold went down 1.72%. And then oil, May crude, went up about 2%. The 10-year Treasury yield also was down 2.4, was 2.406% as the yield down for the week. So, you know, the first quarter was certainly better than the fourth quarter was last year. The big question is what's going to happen on the horizon in this new second quarter? What are the, um, the good winds that could be to the back of the market? What are some of the headwinds that it might face? Certainly one of the more mysterious wins to me has been the change in um, interest rate movement projections by the Federal Reserve. Jerome Powell had set out a very clear course last year for how he planned on raising interest rates. And then you might remember got a lot of blowback from the Trump administration, which simultaneously happened as there were other things going on in the economy. And all of those items together is what led to the poor fourth quarter last year. Now, the administration would have you believe it was all Jay Powell's actions, and that's really not true. It's a lot of the tariffs, a lot of the instability about the tariffs was why the fourth quarter was what it was. Nevertheless, the Fed has completely done an about-face. I'm not sure they're going to raise rates again this year. Now, I do read in some more conservative quarters that, oh, the Fed's going to cut rates. 
from my opinion, you know, I don't have a crystal ball and I don't know much, but I know enough that I don't think they're going to lower rates this year. The only reason the Fed would lower rates this year is if something really catastrophic happened. And I don't see that on the horizon. Of course, generally catastrophes also don't come planned. So, I mean, it's possible, but just in the general course of things, I don't think interest rates are going to be going back down this year. We'll just have to wait and see. A more pressing crisis right now is actually not our problem at all, but it's the problem across the pond with Brexit. And I'm taping this show on April Fool's Day. And by the way, do not fear, I'm not going to do anything with that information because you don't need for me to try to scare you. I thought about it, but I decided that it probably wasn't appropriate action. But there was yet another rejection of Theresa May's plan for how she wants Great Britain to implement Brexit. Now, apparently, she has put forward this same plan four separate times with four little tweaks around the edges, and it's been rejected every single time. And so actually last week was the drop dead date of they were going to go crashing out of the European Union without a plan unless the deal was made. So Theresa May had to go to the EU and ask for more time. She said when she was asking for it that she didn't want to ask for more time. She wanted them just to do it, but that um, they really did need some more time. The European Union granted it. Remember, the EU is on record several months ago as saying that if um, Great Britain changes their mind, that they're free to stay. So I really have to wonder what's going on. There's another vote scheduled. Everything's getting very muddled. What, what you need to know out of this, and I don't want to go very far down the road because I'll be honest, it isn't something that I follow at the granular level that I think you need to, to understand. But apparently the big sticking point is the creation of a customs union that would create some ties between England and Europe related to trade. Um, and the hard Brexit people don't want it. Remember that Theresa May came into power because she was a proponent of Brexit. Well, come to find out a whole lot of people are not at all happy that Brexit is happening. And so to try to shore up support, she's saying that there may be another crash vote. Um, and they, they use the word crash. I did. And apparently it's like an unscheduled, hi, we're voting tomorrow kind of event to see whether or not, you know, what the people want. There's a very good chance, in my opinion, that they would vote to stay in the EU if that vote happened again. Theresa May is trying to hold her party together. She's trying to put forward the same idea five different ways, even though there's a lot of blowback and a lot of pushback, and it doesn't look like she's going to be able to hold this. So now the question is, what happens next? What I suspect is that there's going to be some kind of a deal and everything's going to be fine. If there is a hard Brexit leave, if they leave um, the European Union with no plan, I would anticipate at least a fairly significant stock market shock. I don't know whether or not it lasts. I will have to see where we are if that happens. I really don't think it's going to. 
and see what would happen and try to figure out, you know, is it just the shock, especially in the U.S. markets? It'll be super hard on, on England's economy if that's what happens. But England doesn't actually have that big of an economy. So the United States should be able to weather it. No doubt, I would anticipate the United States markets going down if England just goes crashing out of the EU. We'll have to wait to see what happens, and I'll keep you informed. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the legislative update of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And I've had a story that I've wanted to talk about now for the last two or three weeks, so I'm going to go ahead and start out with it. This actually comes from the first week of March, so I apologize that I'm about a month off from not being timely, but I think first it's something you should know, and second, it was pretty funny. So you may or may not be aware that Mick Mulvaney is no longer the head of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the CFPB. That's the organization that Elizabeth Warren started to help protect um, financial consumers and help keep them safe from bad acting on the part of major financial firms. Well, under Mulvaney, a lot of that was defanged to the point that they actually changed the mission to helping um, financial transactions rather than helping consumers. The new head of the CFPB is Kathy Kraninger, K-R-A-N-I-N-G-E-R. And so she came before Congress the beginning of March to talk to them, um, I think, as part of the nomination process. She got a lot of questions from Democrats about what she planned to do with the agency, and she did say that... um, She wasn't wanting to totally defang it, but at the same time, she was telling the Republicans that she wasn't trying to police financial markets. So just from that, it sounds like she said absolutely nothing. However, um, she also didn't comment on some of the actions that Mulvaney had already taken. So you know in these events, there's all sorts of questions that people have to ask. And Representative Katie Porter, who's a Democrat from California, and I don't know why she thought to ask this question, but she asked um, Craninger if she knew what APR was. And Craninger gave a very simplified answer of APR is an extrapolation as though it were a one-year loan. Well, apparently that was the wrong answer to give to Katie Porter, who has written a financial textbook. And she pulled out the definition of APR. Now, now what Craninger said in her defense wasn't inaccurate. It just wasn't nearly complete. If you're looking at it from the perspective of a consumer, which is the APR is also including the fees and costs of what people, um, what people have to pay. Because there is, within financial services, this huge crisis going on of half of the organizations trying to hide what consumers are having to pay, and then all the watchdog groups saying, no, 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 you've got to disclose what consumers are paying. 
So Kathy Porter said, and I quote, I'll be happy to send you a copy of the textbook that I wrote. My concern is whether you know well, ma'am, because you are the one responsible for making sure that American consumers know well when they take on loans. So Craninger got sort of annoyed with that, and she said, this is not a math exercise. Nevertheless, um, Porter did a really good job of making sure. It is sort of disturbing. I always thought back before I started studying things more that the people in charge of these agencies were just crazy smart and all of this awesome stuff. And yeah, come to find out they can't really define APR, but you know, we'll wait and see. Hopefully Craninger will do a better job than Mulvaney did because Mulvaney was very hard on the agency. Hopefully Craninger cares at least somewhat about consumers and we'll just have to wait and see where we go from there. Now, the second thing that I wanted to talk about um, was on a plan to reorganize Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac under the Trump administration. And, you know, it's kind of a complicated issue because there are some, there's some uh, merit on both sides. Let's start out talking about what Fannie and Freddie are. Fannie Mae is a nickname for the Federal National Mortgage Association, FNMA, which you can turn into Fannie Mae pretty easily. Freddie Mac is the Federal Home Loan Mortgage Corporation, which is FHLMC. And so it's called Freddie because it starts with an F and Mac because the last two letters are MC. It's kind of a harder acronym to get than Fannie Mae is. What was interesting to me was, because I do research before I do the show, was that Fannie Mae was actually created in 1938. So it's not a new organization, and its basic principles have been the same. It's a secondary mortgage market for loans insured by the FHA. So basically, it was a place that loans could be sold. Freddie Mac does the same thing. Um, what they've done now is they package them up and they sell them as mortgage-backed securities. Now, if that sounds a little familiar, it's because those were the investments that just about took out the pension plans in 2008 and 2009 when the housing crisis wound up as a lending crisis and people had mortgages that they weren't paying. So basically the idea of Fannie and Freddie is they take the primary mortgages, they sell them to secondary mortgage holders. It was a way of um, moving money around and possibly giving people a market to sell a mortgage. So they might be more inclined to make the mortgage in the first place. I think if you boil it all the way back, if someone knows they can sell something and maybe make a profit, they're going to be more likely to go ahead and do the deal. So if I'm reading things really correctly and between the lines, it was designed to help people buy houses. The problem is in 2008, the whole system turned on its head because people took out mortgages never intending to pay them off. They intended to flip the houses. Add to that, the mortgages were misrated by the ratings agencies. That's a topic for another show. So you wound up with these baskets of mortgages that were supposed to all be good, solid mortgages. And in fact, there were a lot of junk mortgages mixed in. 
That's why those mortgage-backed securities failed, is people who knew that they couldn't afford the houses took the loan. The real, the real estate industry was like, no, 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 you can flip this. It'll be fine. They're trying to close the deal. They let a lot of stuff slide. The banks just took people's words for how much money they made, so they let a lot of stuff slide. The rating agencies labeled not-so-great mortgages as great mortgages, so then they packaged up this garbage and sold it all over the world. And we wonder why we just about went off the rails in 2008. Well, because Fannie and Freddie were at the middle of all of this, they went into receivership and they were owned by the government. Now, Fannie and Freddie have both become um, cash flow positive because they were just about to go under. They've been generating money since the housing crisis eased off. In fact, um, they've become profitable again, paying a combined $292 billion in dividends to the Treasury. So it's not like having Fannie and Freddie still in receivership is bad for the Treasury because the Treasury is now making money off of it. There is, however, this general, you know, keep the government out of things that is fairly part and parcel of Republican politics. And um, the president, um, Trump, wants to take them out of receivership, and he wants to, um, actually, conservatorship is the correct term, conservatorship. And so the federal government needs to be fully compensated for any guarantees that Fannie and Freddie need to stick to their core mission statements and that their mortgage portfolios be appropriately limited and they prevent, um, they hold sufficient capital to prevent current taxpayer rescues. Well, the taxpayers actually made money on this. Let's start with that. And if they're trying to limit the mortgage activity when, in fact, that was what they were created to do, it makes me wonder what the secondary agenda is. This is very hard still to find data on. You know, I'm not a journalist. I go through and I read articles and I look for things. There's a lot not yet written on this. And it looks to me that the fear that people have is that by doing this, um, by doing away with the conservatorship, that it may be harder because it's a secondary mortgage market that it may be harder for people to get primary mortgages. But in any case, it's something to watch. I'm not really sure why it's happening, and it may just have happened because it was a Wednesday, and there may be nothing to it. Congress has to go along. Congress isn't expected to go along anytime soon. So I will keep you in the loop, but I think it's an interesting story, and I have this feeling it has unintended consequences. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome to the Plan Your Prosperity segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. My name is Peggy Doviak, and today I want to talk about college funding. And we'll talk about some of the more common vehicles a little bit, but I want to talk about some of the things that you can do to help cover college expenses that you might not have been thinking about. I want to begin by reminding you that however much you might want to help your kids go to college and however much you might want to pay that bill, 
the very best gift you can always give your children in any circumstance is your own financial stability. I see people who want to pay for their children's college when their own retirement isn't funded, or more than being funded because no one's really funded at 40. They don't have a plan to fund. So I want you to begin by looking at your own financial condition and have an emergency fund and have a plan for how you're going to pay for your retirement. And then you can help your kids pay for college. Now, I hear a lot of conversation of late, are college degrees critical to have? I'm going to say that most of the time, either an associate's degree or some kind of certification will make an enormous difference in the earning potential of a person. Because most of the jobs that pay well require some kind of formal training to do. Now, they don't all, and college isn't for everyone. But I would really encourage you to, to look at the situation and know what you want to do and pay attention. I'm not super comfortable with the people, because I see it on social media all the time, that someone will say, should people go to college? And you know, half the people respond back, no, there's no reason. Well, there might not be a reason. You might have a job and you might do great and you might have a plan, but for most people, an associate's or a certification through a technology center or a VOTEC is really going to make a big difference. Then from there, you start looking at four-year degrees, graduate work, things like that. I would encourage your child to try to graduate as soon as possible. You know, one of the problems with a bachelor's degree is they're supposed to be four years, and they're stretching now into seven and eight years. And if that degree isn't in something that makes a lot of money, then you can get a lot of debt with not a great earning potential. So one of the things that you can do to pay for college is actually take classes and do well in them and graduate. And, and I'm not kidding because I see it happen all the time. Doing well in college actually starts in high school. And getting into college has sort of become a blood sport like Game of Thrones. And so I want you to really encourage your children to take the preparatory classes for the standardized tests and start taking the tests ahead of when they count and take practice tests. All of that work, all of that effort will pay off in scholarships and the ability to get in and maybe not have to pay all their own tuition. Other things that need to happen other than, you know, good solid classes, real, real high school classes, lots and lots of test prep work, is community service. Community service has become really important on college entrance applications. So make sure that your kids are doing something and be something that they love, but it needs to be something where they're giving back to the community. And that's very different. I'm 53, and when I was applying for college, it wasn't really a thing. And for a lot of parents, they're not aware at what a holistic picture the colleges are looking at. So it's very important to, to volunteer or to do community work because that also helps you get scholarships. Really, really go on a scholarship 
and a tax credit search. Try to look for that thing that your child can do. And if you're trying to get into college, if you're listening to this show, try to come up with, you know, what do you do that's a real talent and that might be able to get you some money? Or do you have any other characteristics? You know, sometimes there's money available for Native Americans or for other groups, for genders, for ethnic groups. All of that money is out there. You need to take it. If you qualify for the money, you need to use it. You need to do what you can so that as much of this bill winds up being paid for by somebody else. So what do you do if you have to borrow money? Now, you know this is just a show where I tell you what I think might happen, right? There's no guarantee that what I'm about to say ever happens. But if I was going to take out a student loan today, I would take out some form of government student loan and not a private student loan. I really think within the next five to ten years, there's going to be a government loan forgiveness or payoff or work it off or something program. Now, just logically, I can see the government applying that to loans they have made. I don't see how they require a private lender to accept any of that. So if you need student loans, I would think that your best way to do it would be to go through the government rather than a private agency, because I want you to come out of this owing as little as you can and able to pay it off without any stress. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Ask Peggy segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And the question today that I got is about New Year's resolutions. And the person said, Peggy, I tried to keep my New Year's resolution and I just couldn't do it. What do I do? Well, I bet if we could take a show of hands of people listening to this station right now, we'd find out that maybe three in 50 of you are still on track to make your New Year's resolution. I know I'm not on track to make my New Year's resolution. I've screwed up several times. So here's what you do. You look at the resolution and you try to figure out why did it fail. And I'm going to guess it's because you set overly ambitious goals. Maybe you were trying to save money and you were trying to save $200 a month. And as it ends up, you don't have $200 a month in your cash flow available. So of course you fail. You can't get there. So what I want you to do is adjust the goal down. I don't want you to say, well, I can't save $200, so I'm not going to save money. Instead, I want you to say, okay, I couldn't save $200, but you know, I had half of it. So instead, I'm going to try to save $100 a month. Now, don't feel bad if you can't save $100 a month. I bet you can save 50. And if you can't save 50, save 25. Okay, where people get in trouble, and it's funny because it doesn't matter how much money people have. They all think they don't have enough. So maybe somebody's saving $500 a month and they think they should be saving 1000 and so they get off track. 
Even if the amount of money that you're able to save each month is so small you don't think it's worth it, I want you to save it anyway. Because that money can go in, if nothing else, into an emergency fund to help you pay for any kind of a financial crisis you have. No, you probably, there's a couple of custodians where you can. You, you probably can't put $25 into an investment account. But you can lay it back, and then when you get more money, probably it should be your emergency fund, and then you start saving again, and when you have more money, you start an investment account. So I want you to start where you are, and I want you to create the goal you can actually do. I also don't want you to give up. People give up when they don't meet their New Year's resolutions, and so they quit. They say, oh, well, I'll try again next year. Don't try again next year. I want you to try again this quarter. Today's April 1st. I want you to try again. If you don't make it this quarter, I want you to try again as of July 1st. Keep trying. Stay after it. I can't believe how fast this has gone. I'll see you next week. Be prosperous. You may submit personal finance questions to the Ask Peggy Facebook page and learn more at PeggyDoviak.com. And remember, prosperity is so much more than money.